The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is David Gerwitz. He's the Managing Director at Charles Nenner Research. Okay, so let's just start with a little bit of your background before we get into the cycle research that you do. Just give us a little bit of your background and how you came to do this work. Hi. So my background is I'm a lawyer, CPA, MBA. You guys hear me okay? Yes, we hear you fine. Okay. But um, despite all that, (laughs) I undid all my learning when I met Charles Nenner, who's a doctor that came up with this idea that things are predictable based on repeating patterns in any top-to-tops in any data series. Therefore, stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, grains, economic indicators. He discovered patterns that he could predict markets. He was at Goldman Sachs 15 years. And I was a uh, trained talent scout from a guy named Red Auerbach that coached and put together the Celtics. So between all the two, I found Charles a decade ago when we built what is one of the largest research firms in the world based on his brilliance. All right, so let's talk a little bit about cycles. Explain to the average person how cycles uh, work and uh, how you can use them to predict. And you not only do stocks, but you do bonds, you do commodities, you do all kinds of things. Just kind of give us a, a basic of what you're looking for and how that is, is accurate in predicting things in the future. Sure. Well, the word cycle comes from the Greek word circle. So it's just top to tops in any data series. I'll give you an example. Apple which we called the top in two years ago when it got to 700, the computer will take top to tops, meaning it doesn't matter. A lot of, let's say it topped every two weeks, every five weeks, every 10 weeks, like a bunch of EKGs when you go in and get your heart done. It overlays them, and let's say you find 30 cycles based on weekly data or 60 cycles, and then if they're all topping or bottoming at the same time, in anything, stocks, bonds, commodity currency, the assumption is it's a top, and the reasons will show up later. Okay, so uh, you have data going back a long way. How, how long back have you studied these kind of cycles? That's a great question. We have farm data for, like, for soft commodities going back hundreds of years. We have crude data going back only 100 years, because that's how long crude's been around. I mean, it's been around longer, but we only discovered it hundreds and odd years ago. We have interest rates going back many hundreds of years. Stocks, you know, 150 years. Bonds go even further. Um, obviously, stuff like copper, we don't go back that far. But we have all sorts of data that Charles has accumulated over the last 30 years he's been doing this. And what kind of accuracy rate, looking at these hundreds of years of data, what kind of accuracy rate does that give you and be able to predict uh, future movement movements? He, he says... You know, I get what he says. He's the dean. Is that it, he's almost never wrong. I found he's right at least three quarters of the time. And if it's wrong, could be the data's wrong. Could be he didn't read it right. He knows pretty quickly how far off it is, so we can set pretty tight stops. 
and get out quickly. So you never really have much loss in the system, which is kind of nice. So explain the, the service that you offer. Uh, tell us the website. And what kind of uh, trade recommendations are you giving all the time? Great, great. So the, the site's www.charlesnenner.com. Um, we've been sending out, we send out a newsletter two or three times a week and on Sunday covering stocks, S&P, NASDAQ, uh, the Dow, the TSC, the Toronto, we have a lot of Canadian clients. We cover bonds and bonds, the 30 and the 10, and TLT, which is the long bond fund, and TBT, which is the short bond fund. Bonds, which is the German bonds, which is a huge market. Americans don't seem to know about it. Gold, silver, copper, um, crude, not gas, and then five or six currencies two or three times a week, which is the euro, the yen, the Aussie, the Canadian, and then the euro-yen cross, and the shekel, which is the Israeli. So those are all things that have data and we find cycles and then we also have a target algorithm that gives you not only which direction things are going which is what cycles tell you but also how far they go so let me answer your second question we just did let's go across the board like the 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 euro the euro from 132 up to 137 and a half we just got out it just came down again um crude we went up to 117 got out of crude and headed down below 100, down into the low 90s, now 94, and we think we're at the bottom soon. That gas, a few years ago, it was 12 bucks, if you remember, came down, went up to six. He called it to a buck 70. No one thought it would get there. It got to a buck 90. He called it up to 350. Now he thinks it's heading back to a buck 70. Um, the euro originally was a buck 51 before the first Greek crisis. Bonds, he, the last 30 years rates have been down. He thinks the next 30 years rates are up based on the 60-year cycle. Um, and the stock market, which has been pretty much up the last five years, which he called the bottom in 2009, he thinks we are, quote-unquote, topping now, even though it's not turning down so fast now and will continue up into the first quarter. And he thinks we hit a little bit of a wall next quarter. But that's what people get from the research, which they should write into the site and say they heard me on your show, is they get at least a month's free trial to see if it works for them. We don't manage money. We're not brokers. So we're very honest. A lot of times we say stand aside. We just did a VIX trade, which was very nice. Um, we, we don't believe in that much trading. We think in a year, a, a person will have a calm head to do maybe 30, 40 trades. And we think people overtrade. Because even if you do well, you get exhausted in the process. It's not a good idea. I don't know if that answered the question, but I'm trying to give no, you very a good. version. So um, you, um, you're still going to be taking a lot of short-term gains. I mean, even if you've done 30 or 40 yes, trades yes, a year. Yes, It used to be longer, and the world has changed. You can't stay in long positions anymore. It's sad because a lot of people don't want to do this. I'm not talking every week, but it's like three weeks, six weeks, two months, three months. I mean, Apple, we're going to take a position soon and hold it for a couple of years. He said all these bounces since 702 have been just bounces, which they were. Gold took everyone out in 1900, and we've been a few hundred point long moves, but got out pretty quickly. So it's very frustrating for people. Gold was up 10 years. And then when he said to everybody, get out, you yeah, know, it's up, we'll hold it. He said, you're going to see, you're going to get emotionally exhausted exactly what happened. See, the problem with a lot of people is they don't have the memory to remember when things were and to get out of tops and get into bottoms and try and avoid that middle section. very hard for people because we watch too, news too much. There's too much information for people to process it. That's our opinion. 
So you are recommending short as well as long positions, is that right? Oh, sure, sure, sure. I mean, we're short the Canadian now. Let me talk about the Aussie and the Canadian. Both were 68 to the dollar four years ago, and we called it to go to par, which it did. And we're short the Canadian now. We were just long the Aussie twice. We think the Aussie is going to go to 110. So that's something that, you know, has been accurate trades. People can play it to the FXA, which is the, you know, the uh, ETF for the Aussie. Um, I mean, that's just an example. We believe it doesn't matter what it is. Like people say sometimes, I don't know currency. And I always say to them, does that mean you know stocks? We don't think we know anything but cycles. So if the cycles are bonding something, who cares what the letter stands for? You know, we're both religious, except when it comes to this, we're completely non-religious. If if it's bottoming, I don't care what it is, buy it. (laughs) So So you're saying a better way for people to play these things, instead of doing actual futures or options on currencies, for example, is to buy or sell short the um, exchange-traded fund in that currency. That's one way to do it. The the, the ETFs don't always track. Like the the, the NACS ETFs don't track. The, The bond ETFs just didn't track the actual bond move. So... Futures is actually better because you don't have the time pressure that's inherent in, in option trading. Because futures, you don't have that, you know, you don't have the time issue. But how many people know how to trade futures? I would always recommend to your listeners, they try a practice account with a place like Thinkorswim, and they could learn futures. I mean, it takes a little while, but it's not so difficult to do from what I've seen. I'm myself so busy all day, I don't really have time to trade, but that's what I'd recommend for people. And, again, to just not feel they have to rush into trades, they should plan it. Like with us, we can actually sit and go, here's what we're thinking one month, two months, three months, six months, a year, two years. And then give you some sense of calm. So is the best way to get your research to put in uh, uh, buy prices and sell prices and stop losses in advance? Because you never know exactly when it's going to hit the particular level you're, you're wanting to buy or sell. Right. We have it all in the research. That's why I say your listeners should write in, say, they heard David speaking to you on your show, you know, com. We'll put them on the research list now. They'll get it for a month. And then at some point, either I or, or one of someone from my staff will speak to them about the different subscription options. Because we, you know, when Charles and I got started, he was a Goldman Sachs. This is a Goldman Sachs product, by the way. People should know. This is, when I say Goldman Sachs, he wrote it for Goldman Sachs, so it's pretty high level. And um, some people, pretty simple, they, they, they can't, can't file. If say it's on a buy signal, we wouldn't take the signal, but get it out if it closes below 132 for the euro. I'm just taking an example. So everybody has different trading skills, and we know that. And we're writing one thing for a lot of different people. You have funds with $50 billion. You have clients with a million, half a million, 200000 So everybody has different needs and abilities, and we try and express what we see in two or three lines for everybody. It's not always so easy, but we think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. Now, you say there are over 200 indicators going into your model. I don't know, need all 200, but give me a sense of some of the yeah, well, indicators that are going into it. Cycles are cycles. I'm going to explain. It's a very good question, by the way. I'm glad you're asking. Most people don't. Cycles, again, only give you direction. It's a series of top-to-tops in any data series. Target is only a level based on, you know, what is based on quantum physics, actually, and the decay in the trajectory of shooting a bullet out of a gun. Um, then we use Elliott Wave, and we use um, other things to give us more information. Then Charles has an overall economic indicator. 
Overall technical model, I'm sorry, that's what you're asking about, which he developed about eight years ago as an overlay to himself because he's used by a lot of people on Wall Street as an overlay to their other systems. And he himself said, well, maybe there's a bigger picture. So he'll take, let me give you five examples of the things that are 200. Put call ratio, insider selling, block trading. Right? So that stuff he looks at on a weekend. And he, 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 you know, Barron's has something that has 50 of his indicators there. And he actually then incorporates that. When that turns, that seems to, like, he doesn't want to go short now because that hasn't turned in the, in the stock market the last five years. Maybe a couple of times to be short. But it just hasn't turned. Whereas when the Dow hit 14,000 uh, in 2008, it had turned. And he, he said, but now you can get out and go short. So it doesn't turn that often. So that's part of his overall economic indicator. I don't know all the pieces there because, you know, I know most of it, but I don't know everything. But that's the fourth piece that he applies to his overall analysis. Now, there, there are many indicators. Some may be positive, some may be negative. Do you right. have to have a preponderance of them, like 75% or more of them be one direction or another to right. call a turn? That's how, yeah. I don't know whether it's 64. You're asking a great question. I don't know him. You know, he's the man that, came up with this, I'm more the mouthpiece getting it into the press and dealing with the clients. I do not know when it gets to that piece how he allocates to 200. If it's 101 to 99, we're ready to go. I don't think so. I think it's a preponderance because you have to remember he's a doctor. He came into this when he was in medical school. And by doing that, he was able to see, you know, the professor said people get admitted to insane asylums all around the world at the same time. Um, and that's how he got into this. So he's kind of a data analyst looking at patterns. So he he sees things very clearly with this stuff. And when he comes up with these things, he's trying to look at underlying forces that are things other people don't see. Cycles, for instance. You know, we know spring, summer, fall, that's one cycle. No one has a problem with it. But when you say IBM... I give you an example. He called the top in rim at 84. He called the top in apple. He called the top in gold. These are some of the greatest calls ever. It really didn't mean anything to people. Okay, that was great. What does he say now? But if the system called that, maybe it would, it's calling now. Very hard for people to accept that it's not Bernanke or, or, the, or Janet Yellen that's running everything. It was something set in motion or it. So we're used to that. We're used to people having a difficult time emotionally accepting they don't have the free choice they think they do. Are you a believer in Fibonacci cycles as well? Well, let me say Fibonacci is not a cycle. Fibonacci is a sequence that's the basis of the Elliott wave, as you know. So yes. that's one of the pieces that he uses. Elliott discovered that markets use, follow the Look, Fibonacci is the most prevalent pattern in nature. I have a site. I'm a concert pianist, DavidGerwitz.com. I became a musician based on being in a math class, and the professor said people get admitted to an... I'm sorry, that was Charles. He, the professor drew a keyboard, and in a C-to-C keyboard, in an octave, you have a Fibonacci. Eight white keys, five black keys, it's 13 altogether, group of three, group of two. So that's Fibonacci, one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen. So Fibonacci is the most prevalent pattern in nature. Of course it's going to be in the stock market. The problem is there's no standard way to say this is a wave three up. Now, obviously, the most famous Elliott guy is Prector. A very nice guy, by the way, but he's wrong most of the time. I get a lot of clients right in and go, he killed me because he's been calling this, calling that. It's going to be right sometimes. Charles is really good at Elliott Wave, and, but he doesn't want people to think that's his focus because it's not. 
it's one of the pieces that he looks at as if when you go to a doctor, you, you hurt your foot. Did you sprain it? Did you fracture it? Did, did you bruise it? That's how Charles looks at things. How many different shots do I look? Cycles, target, Elliott wave, overall economic indicator, candlesticks, point and figure. You know, he looks at all the stuff to come up with an overall analysis where he thinks things are going. So we have about a minute to go. Who would be an appropriate investor to follow this kind of research? Do you have to follow this very carefully, or you know, what well, kind of investor is appropriate for this? Oh, good question. Lots of types of people. We've got people all over the country. We have sovereign wealth. We have private office. We have individuals. We have people with bro. We have brokers. We have hedge funds. We have a huge variety of clients because everyone uses it differently. Some only want to focus on stocks. Some want to do precious metals. You know, some only want to do grain. Some want to do everything. Some all of a sudden realized they could do, you know, currencies, which they never thought before, because at least they have some guidance here. Do they understand them? Like I said before, I don't think we understand anything except cycles. Once you understand cycles, then you understand everything. But it's a very hard intellectual thing to do. So my answer to your question is it's a broad spectrum, and I recommend you listeners to write in and sample it for a while, and hopefully we'll be able to help them. So these things are happening. You don't particularly know why, but you don't particularly care. You're just following what the charts are saying, basically. Exactly. Well, we, we, we suspect, listen, we, we, God runs the world, we don't. So therefore, <laughs> it's not random. If it's random, how can you predict anything? Yeah. That's basically, that's basically his philosophy. If it's random, how can you ever predict anything? If it's not random, maybe there's bigger patterns to things, and people don't want to accept that. They'd rather let the assumption the news is going to see the great man's theory of history. We do not believe in that at all. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour, this half hour has been David Gerwitz. He's the Managing Director at Charles Nenner Research. You can find out more uh, at charlesnenner.com. Is that correct, David? That's the right uh, Absolutely. email? Absolutely. I appreciate, I appreciate your questions. They were great. And I'd love to be back on, hopefully, in the right time next time. Very good. All right. Well, thank you thank so much, you so David. I uh, appreciate it. And we'll be back with another guest right after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this half hour is Michael Farkas. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Car Charging Group, and we're going to be talking about charging cars and electric cars. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you for having me. Just start with a little bit of your background. You've got a very diverse background in business. Just tell us briefly about your background before you got uh, to the Car Charging Group. Um, my, my background was basically in finance. Um, once upon a time, I was a stockbroker uh, for the likes of uh, Payne Weber and Gruntle. Um, and then I uh, moved on to more of uh, banking mergers and acquisitions. Um, and then for quite some time was an investor in just multiple types of, multiple different types of uh, companies. And so what attracted you with the electric car market and car charging group? Um, I've been a fan of uh, cars since... Uh, you know, since the beginning of my time, I think my first word was mom, my second word was car, and then came dad, and my dad never forgave me for that. Um, but I've, I've always had a love for the uh, the car industry, and um, uh, back in 2008, when they were putting together the uh, automobile uh, program to electrify the automobile, which was a $25 billion um, DOE program, I, I realized that that there was something missing, and that was um, infrastructure to charge all these electric cars that they were looking to fund the development for. There was money earmarked for buildings, to build these cars for batteries, for, for all these ancillary technologies. And I'm referring to the funds that um, Tesla received and Fisker and, and a bunch of other companies, including Nissan and, and Ford. Uh, and that's where we're seeing, you know, the fruits of, the, of those programs, you know, are, are the Chevy Volt and the Nissan Leaf and the, and the like, um, and the Tesla Model S. Um, and, and what I saw there was, was there was something missing, and what was missing was infrastructure, the ability to charge those cars um, outside of the home. Um, you know, most people were thinking they were going to charge a car in their house, but there's over 47 million American households that do not have dedicated parking spaces. So once we realized that there was such a huge um, sector of, of, of the American population that would not have access to, to electric vehicles, um, we realized that a public charging infrastructure was necessary, and that's when we founded Car Charging Group. So let's just kind of take a look at the overall electric car market. Uh, roughly how many cars are on the road now, and what are the, what are the projections for growth over the next few years? Um, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, a little bit north of 100,000. I think we're probably around 120,000, 125,000 EVs on the road now in America. Um, you know, and, and estimates range from all over the place. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard studies that, you know, there are going to be zero EV sales in five years, and I've heard that 80% of all vehicle sales, you know, personal transportation, um, you know, by 2025 will be uh, electric vehicles. So it's really all over the place, um, you know, but we believe that sales will increase dramatically. Um, we also understand that there are many uh, states that are pushing for EVs because they understand, you know, really the need. So what is the, the compelling uh, advantage of an electric vehicle over a gas-powered car? Well, you know, there are many, many benefits. Um, you know, the major one that, that we look at is, um, you know, lack of dependence on a foreign fuel source. And I think that's a major one. Um, you know, electricity is produced domestically, which means we don't have to send our funds out to foreign rulers um, that don't have our best interests at heart. Um, in addition to that, the cost to operate an EV is much lower than the cost to operate an internal combustion engine car. Uh, much, much lower. And, and driving from my home, you know, I, I pull my EV into my house and I, I charge at my home. Um, when you look at those numbers, you're probably talking about, you know, 15, 20 cents on the dollar to drive that same mileage, which is a, a substantial saving. 
Uh, in, in addition, you know, as these cars become mass-produced, the cost to, to make these cars are going to be lower than internal combustion engine cars. And most people think, wow, that's not what I'm hearing. You know, EVs are much more expensive. That's today because lack of mass production for these cars um, and also the batteries. The batteries are the most expensive component to these cars. But once pricing works out and once commercialization and commoditization of batteries um, you know, hits the marketplace, EVs will be cheaper to produce um, than their internal combustion engine counterpart. And you can go online and Carlos Goshen talks about this and, and so does many others. So it'll be cheaper. Now, you must have much bigger electricity bills. If you, you don't have a gas bill, but you have a much bigger electricity bill. Is that, that the way it yes, works? Your electricity bill will be more, but the amount of money that you're spending to drive that same distance is considerably lower using electricity than it is using gas. So uh, the big things people worry about with electric cars is, is running out of juice and, and being stranded somewhere. Um, so, And your company is addressing that. That's what is the, the, the current concern, current range sense? The, big, you know? the biggest concern is range anxiety, as you mentioned. Um, people are scared of um, driving past certain distances and not having the ability to fill up their car. Uh, and really, that's what we do. Um, we provide public charging. We provide um, charging to people who live in single-family homes and who have dedicated parking spaces, um, you know, in addition to their range. We, we allow them to charge outside of their home when they're going on the way at a CVS or a Walgreens or Simon Properties or Central Parking, Standard Parking, Icon Parking, and the likes. And those, those are our relationships. Um, but what it also does, which is, in our opinion, really a bigger part of our market, it provides people who do not have a dedicated parking space, which is over 47 million American households that have to use public charging if they, have to, if they want to buy an EV. They have no other option. That's our biggest market. So where are your car charging? Um, do you have a lot of them up now, or are you going to be bringing yeah, them in? Where, we, where does it stand now? Uh, we we, we, we um, own and operate the largest network of charging stations um, through our acquisition of Ecotality's assets um, attributable to their public charging network and their network itself and some of their inventory. Um, we've got over 13,000 um, charging stations, both residential and public charging stations, on our Blink network. And so people can look up where the nearest charging station is on their cell phone or something, or how do, how do they find out where the nearest one is? That, that is they, they could go to um, carcharging.com. Um, they could go to uh, blinknetwork.com. Those are some of our sites where you could see our charging stations. And, and how long does it take for a typical electric car to, if it's not overnight, uh, how long does it take for them to recharge their car? Well, there's, there's different types of charging methodologies. One is called a level two charging station. And that's about a four-hour charge. Could be a little less. It depends on the state of your battery. And then we have what's called DC fast chargers, or also known as level three charging stations. Um, and you're talking 20, 25 minutes, um, roughly 80% of your battery, maybe a little bit more. Now, there are some. I guess Tesla has a system where you can actually uh, uh, change out the battery, right? They've already got batteries that are fully charged, and they take they, out they the old one no, put the new they one? Have no swapping stations as of today. It's a technology that they're talking about launching. Um, I, I, I don't see a real future for it. Really? So that's not something you would be getting into? No. The facilities themselves are um, extremely expensive, just, just the location itself. Um, you're also talking about substantial rents that you have to commit to um, in a swapping station. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, with, with the newer, faster DC fast chargers that are out there, um, you know, I, I don't think you can compare. 
I see. So, but basically, when you run out of uh, power, you've got to allow enough time uh, to charge it to go back on the road again. It's not something you can. It's that, not that like filling correct. up for gas. That that is correct. And again, with, with some of the DC fast chargers, um, you know, you could walk into a, a store like a Starbucks or um, you know Dunkin' Donuts, or walk into a Walgreens or a CVS, and by the time you're out, your car will be charged. And how how much does it cost to uh, recharge your car typically? Uh, we typically charge $0.49 cents per kilowatt hour in states that allow us to charge per kilowatt hour. Otherwise, we charge on an hourly rate. And, and how much do you charge per hour, roughly? Roughly $2.49. And it depends up, upon the area. $2.49. So I'm just trying to get a sense of how much it costs somebody to recharge their car if they are stopping at one of your stations, roughly. Um, based upon the model today, it's 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 cheaper than what you would pay for gasoline. Um, in addition, for power users, um, we offer some subscriptions. So for someone who wants to have a subscription, we offer two models right now. One is $99.99 unlimited off-peak charging or $149.99 anytime charging. And when you figure out what you pay for gasoline, uh, I would have to tell you it's going to be substantially lower than that. So it's 99 and 149 per month? Is that the way it works? 99.99 unlimited charging off-peak per month or 149.99 unlimited anytime charging uh, 24 hours a day. And what do most people choose between those plans? Right now, we haven't really started marketing um, our, our subscription model yet. Um, but what happens is if we have a user who comes in and says, hey, 49 cents per kilowatt hour is a little bit much, we offer them the subscription. So you're saying it's going to work out better if they're using their car a lot to do the subscription model. That is correct. I see. Now, some if, of the big... There are people mostly mm-hmm. charge at home and may need to fill up every so often. So they're not going to want a subscription plan. Um, you know, they're going to want to pay per use. Uh, you know, people who have no other option but to use public charging, we're trying to offer them a service that, uh, you know, is fair. So, so you're saying most people uh, charge their car at home overnight. That's the way. It, and this is kind well, of a re- refill when they're out there. What, what's happened is because of the lack of public infrastructure in the past, many people who lived in uh, multifamily properties um, we're not able to buy EVs. So what happened was it created um, a huge amount of usage in, in the residential domain because people with parking spaces, dedicated parking spaces, were able to buy the cars. So right now on our network, we're seeing about 90% of charging is done in the resident, single-family home, because that, that's the market that was really these cars were geared to initially because of lack of infrastructure. But now we're seeing the percentages literally on a monthly basis change where you're having more usage in the public domain. And as more infrastructure is available in the public domain, um, we believe that will change the balance of usage. Now, some of the, the cars, I mean, the, um, the Chevy Volt, for example, I think in generally has not been considered a success. It was, came out at a very high price, had a huge amounts of government subsidies, didn't sell all that well. Are things changing as far as the, the view towards electric cars? I, I think you really have to look at the product itself. And when you have a Model S, which is a very attractive car, the price point is not as high as you think it is when you compare it to its internal combustion engine counterpart. And I'll give you a perfect example. You look at the Model S. What is its true competitor, a BMW 5 Series or a Mercedes E-Class? If you look at the Tesla Model S P85 edition, which is the highest end of the the car, and you look at a BMW M5 or a Mercedes E-Class AMG, um, the BMW and the Mercedes are actually more expensive than the Tesla, and the Tesla outperforms both of them. So in, in that price category, EVs are already cheaper. 
okay? On the lower end, it's not the case. But if you look at the product itself, if you build a good product at the right price, you know, with, with, with the right specs, you're going to sell as many as you can make, okay? Look at the Nissan Leaf. It is the lowest car in inventory in the entire Nissan chain. Um, I think it's the number one selling uh, uh, Nissan in the Pacific Northwest. When you build a decent product that works for its market, you'll sell them. And Nissan doesn't have um, an issue with selling the cars. They have an issue with producing the cars. Then you look at the Volt. The Volt is a mid-sized American car. And the biggest problem you have, it sits only four people. That destroyed a huge amount of its market segment. You can't have a mid-sized American car with four seats. That was one of the inherent issues with the Volt. Yes, it was a little bit more expensive, but with some of the subsidies that brought down the pricing in the car, I believe when the next generation of the Volt comes out and it addresses certain deficiencies that it has for its marketplace, I believe a lot more sales will take place. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Michael Farkas. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Car Charging Group, talking all about electric cars. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio, every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Think of the world. 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Michael Farkas. He's the CEO and co-founder of the Car Charging Group. We're talking about electric cars and charging electric cars. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you. Um, there's a little bit of confusion here about what are plug-in cars, plug-in hybrid cars, and regular hybrid cars. Why don't you just kind of describe the difference between those three? Okay. Um, regular hybrid cars 
which is really the, the first generation, which is your Toyota Prius, Honda Insight, um, the Camry uh, uh, Hybrid. Um, those are non-plug-in cars. Th- those are just cars that are hybrid. They have they produce energy through generative braking systems and, and other ways, um, but they do not have a plug-in option. The Chevy Volt, um, the the Fisker, um, you know, the new Porsche that that are coming out. Those are cars um, that have a plug-in. But they also have a battery generator, uh, I mean, a backup generator that, that's usually filled with gas. So that once you go beyond the range, um, that generator will turn on and produce electricity to power the batteries. And the third type of car is, is the full battery uh, plug-in, and that's the Nissan Leaf and the Tesla Model S. And there's no generator. It doesn't work on gas at all. It is full electric. And those are the three different types of hybrid, plug-in hybrid, um, and full electric cars that are available today. Now, Fisker, you mentioned, Fisker went bankrupt, as I understand it, right? What happened in that case? Um, actually, they did not go bankrupt. Um, they did have some issues. They had some technology issues. Number one, the A123, which was their battery supplier, they went bankrupt, which caused some serious issues. Um, and they're still, they're still survived. They have not gone bankrupt. The DOE um, recently negotiated to sell um, the loans to, I believe it was Richard Lee, out of Hong Kong, who looks like he's going to resuscitate the company, but the company actually never went bankrupt. I see, okay. But are they producing cars that are on the market now? No, they haven't produced cars in quite some time, but from what I understand, they're going to be uh, starting production again shortly and coming out with another model. Are there some other players, in addition to the Nissan Leaf and Tesla, that are uh, going to be coming with all-electric cars somewhat soon? You know, when people ask me which manufacturers are coming out with EVs, it's a very simple answer. Every single one of them. There is not one auto company out today that does not have EVs on the drawing board. And that goes from Jaguar Land Rover to Kia Hyundai to um, Cadillac to Buick to every single car company you could think of. Every single, every single one of them um, will be producing plug-ins. Uh, BMW recently announced that every single one of their cars will have a plug-in option. It's not just going to be the i-sub brand. You're going to be able to look at a, a, a three series, a five series, a seven series. Um, they're previewing, um, actually not previewing, they're releasing in, in short order the X6, I'm sorry, the X5 SUV is going to be a plug-in from BMW. Uh, Mercedes, the S-Class, is going to be a plug-in. Um, pretty much every single car is going to be connected shortly. Wow. I didn't think people realized that. So if that's going to happen, that would be in- increasing the demand for car charging stations dramatically, you're saying? We, we see increase in usage on a monthly basis, except for an extraordinary event where we, we did have a lot of units that were um, not charging for services. We turned services for pay for use on a bunch of them. Some usage did go down, but our revenues increased off of that. Um, but we have seen nothing but increased usage outside of an extraordinary event. So tell us about your stock a little bit. Tell us about its trading. When did it go public? What has been the action on the stock lately? We went public in 2009. Um, we merged with a public company. Um, our symbol is CCGI. We trade on the NASDAQ over-the-counter. Um, and we've really we've been growing uh, organically, but a, a big portion of our growth has been done through acquisitions. Um, we acquired four of our competitors in the last year alone. And what has the stock done since it came public? Um, you know, it's, it's traded with the marketplace. We've had some ups and we've had some downs. Um, you know, people still want to see, you know, I think the biggest issue is people don't realize, you know, they look and say, how can I make money off the EV market? And they say, hey, you know, the only pure investment is Tesla. 
I don't think that's a good move. And the reason why is, yes, it's, it's a great investment. I think Elon Musk is a genius. But I don't think that's a pure play investment just in EVs. EVs need to fuel, whether it's a Cadillac, like the ELR that's being released, or the Kia Soul, that the EV that's being released, or the Porsches, or the Audis, or, or the BMWs. They all have one thing in common. They need infrastructure. They all need to charge. Whether Tesla's going to win the EV race, or all the other car companies are going to compete and have a good product out there, they all need one thing in common, which is the services we provide. And I'm going to take us back into, uh, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to jump into a time machine for a second. Okay. And once upon a time, there was a guy named Henry, and there was a guy named John. And Henry wanted to sell a new product, but he needed John to fuel that car, because that product, that car that he was selling, needed fuel. So everywhere John wanted to go, everywhere where Henry wanted to go and release his product, he had John go in there and make gas stations. And what happened was, Henry Ford went out there and was able to sell more and more cars. And everywhere Henry Ford sold those cars, John D. Rockefeller was able to go in there and put in gas stations. But what happened was, as more and more gas stations came around, there were other car companies that could use those services as well. And if you want to look at today's fortune of the Ford fortune, or you want to look at the Rockefeller fortune, and remember the Rockefeller fortune is not just um, Exxon or Mobil or, you know, it was Standard Oil. If you look at that, the, Ro- the Rockefeller fortune is by far way, way, way greater than the Ford fortune is. And the reason why is they were agnostic. Rockefeller was agnostic. Any car company that wants to come and charge and, and fill up their cars on, on their network of, of gas stations was able to do it. It wasn't only exclusive, um, you know, to the Ford. And that's what we're doing. We're the, we're the standard oil of this generation. We're the guys who are going out there and are providing EV charging services that work with every single car. It'll work with a Tesla. It'll work with a Ford. It'll work with a GM. It'll work with every single manufacturer. Now, people hear about this Tesla supercharging network that, pe- that, that they're making, and people don't realize that it's not really competition to us because they're only doing 100 of these charging stations, these supercharging stations. Meanwhile, we already have more than 100 super-fast chargers in, in the ground operational. And our charges will work with all likes of cars, not just one type of car. And Tesla's supercharging network is only along highway routes. It's not in urban areas where people are going to use our services. So what we've done is we've created a platform that every single car can use to charge their cars. Will you have uh, charging stations at existing gas stations? No. Gas stations don't have enough time for you to go ahead and do something. You don't have a 15 or 20 minute thing to do while you're sitting there. But if you go to a CVS or a Walgreens and your average stay is around 20 minutes already, by the time you plug in your car, you go into your Walgreens, you get your prescriptions, you get whatever toiletries you need, whatever it may be. When you come out, your car is charged. You need to have something to do while the charging is taking place. So the gas station um, model doesn't really work. You need something with a little bit extra time than that. Mm-hmm. Are, are there any other competitors doing the, building out the same network that you're doing? Well, there were, there were a bunch of others. We bought four of them in the last year. Um, there's one other major one. It's called EVGo. Um, but again, their, their model is a little bit different than ours. Um, we look at having the ability to plug in wherever you are, whether you're at work, home, and play. Um, and, and EVGo's model is more of a specific location to go charge. That You actually have to go to that place to charge, which is a little bit different than our model. I see. Tell me about what website you have that people can find out more about your company. Carcharging.com, spelled as it sounds. Um, and e, uh, um, also Blink Network, B-L-I-N-K Network, one word, dot com. 
What are some of the uh, federal incentives for buying electric cars, and are those going to continue, or do they run out? We believe that they'll continue for quite some time. Um, it depends upon the state. There's a minimum federal um, incentive, about $7,500, and there are other states that offer more, like Colorado, West Virginia, California, and others. Has that worked to stimulate demand? Without a question, yes, it helps. Um, one thing that also stimulates demand is being able to drive an EV and HOV lanes. It's, it's, it's uh, without a question, it helps. Ah, uh-huh. so that's true everywhere? Not in every state, but uh, in a decent amount of them. In California, Florida, um, some others. It definitely, it definitely stimulates buying. Very good. About a minute we have or so left. Why should people buy an electric car going forward into the future that you see? Very simple. Um, there, there are many reasons, and it's not just a minute. Um, the cars are safer. Look at the safety ratings on a Tesla. You, can, you can't compare them to any other car. The dynamics of driving, much, much better. Lower center of gravity. There's just a whole you know, bunch of things. Um, I look at it for one really important issue is, is, is national security. Um, you know, it's very important for us not to be dependent on foreign fuel. People don't realize how dependent on foreign fuel we are, even with all these, you know, tar sands and, and, and these, you know, the talk of America being, the, you, know, uh, you know, dependent on its own fuel source. It's, it, we're not there yet. Um, and, and a lot of our policies are based upon our need for oil. Um, you know, being energy efficient and, and, and dependent upon ourselves is something that's amazing. Also, um, being agnostic as to fuel sources is very important. Right now, we're dependent on one fuel source. When you have electric-powered cars, remember, electricity is produced through many different means. You could have coal, which is not the cleanest, but it's still there. You have natural gas plants. You could use nuclear. You could use all different types of renewables. Well, what happens is by using e- you know, electricity, we are creating an agnostic environment as to our fuel source which I think is the best policy. Terrific. Very good. Well, this has been very interesting. My guest this half hour has been Michael Farkas. Uh, he's the CEO and co-founder of the Car Charging Group. Again, his website is carcharging.com and also blinknetwork.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Michael. Thank you for having me. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.